I'm also one of the pastors here, uh, and I get the opportunity uh, with you today to close out uh, our series on friendship. If you've been around the past what, six, seven weeks or so, we've been looking at this topic of friendship, and we've been looking at it uh, from the Bible. Uh, a lot of times we think about friendship, or we talk about friendship, or a lot of times we maybe don't even think about it. We just kind of drift into friendships, and we think we know what friendship is all about. But we never actually give intentional thought to it. We never actually uh, go to places where we think that we can find wisdom. And as Christians, as those who believe in Jesus, as those who believe that God has spoken, uh, we believe that God gives us wisdom for every area of our lives in His Word. Uh, we believe God's created us as human beings, that He's created us relational creatures, that He has created us as people who hunger for friendship, who are created in the image of God, and, and therefore God shows us what friendship ought to look like in His world. And so we, we've been asking this question, and today we're going to kind of wrap it up, and I, I want to end today with a topic that I think is especially germane to those of us in this room. There's a lot we can say about friendship, but, but today I want to I zero in on this one particular topic, and it's the topic of seasons of friendship. Seasons of friendship which initially you hear that and it sounds like a Yankee candle scent, I know. But when I say seasons of friendship, here's what I mean. I mean, how do we develop and grow and mature and change over time as friends? How, how do our friendships develop and grow and change and adapt over time as, as we walk through different seasons of our lives? And here's why I think this is so important for those of us in this room today, because many of us in this room, as we talk to you, as we talk to you in relation to the, to the different messages that we've given, or just as we walk through life with you, many of us in this room are asking this question, what does friendship, what should it look like for me in this particular season of my life? Some of us are in college. Some of us just graduated from college. Maybe we're in grad school. We're, we're in our first job. Some of us are single. Some of us are dating or engaged or married. Some of us just moved to the city. Some of us have lived here our entire lives. Some of us have young kids. Some of us have teenagers. Some of us are empty nesters. Some of us are retired. And, and, and wherever you are on that journey, it seems like in life, the one thing that's constant is change. Walking into a new season of life and saying, okay, in this season of life, what should friendship look like for me in this time and in this place? And many of us are left scratching our heads about what that should look like. We know what it looked like for us in the past, but we don't know what's it supposed to look like for me right now. My wife's part of a, a Facebook group for parents uh, here in the Midtown community, and she showed me this post from last week. One of the most popular posts from this past week was, was just a mom saying, hey, I'm a mom of two young kids, and I don't feel like I have any friends, and I don't know. I don't know how to make connection with, with other moms, with other friends in this stage of my life. Within a couple of days, there were 87 comments, 87 comments from other moms saying, yeah, that's me too. Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, I feel so isolated and so alone, and I don't know what to do about it. And I think many of us, if we take a moment to just be honest, if we take a moment to step away from the busyness of life, we would say that same thing. We feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like maybe I had these great friendships somewhere in my past, but, but I don't know what to do about it now. We were, we were talking to my discipleship group a, a few years, or a few years ago, a few weeks ago, rather, about this, about how years ago, many of us had these deep friendships. Many of us uh, had particular times in our lives where it felt like we had connected with people really easily. And now we're all married and we got kids and we got mortgages and we got all these different things going on and friendship looks different. Doesn't mean that we're not friends. Doesn't mean that we don't love each other. Doesn't mean that we don't care about each other. But it does mean that it's more of a commitment. It means we have to work harder for it. It means that it's something that takes longer to cultivate. It's, it's a slower burn. It means that our expectations for it are different. See, life's not a static thing. I think we all know that. Life is always in change. We are not static human beings. Hopefully, we're always maturing. We're always growing. And so what makes our, us think that our friendships are going to be static? See, I think one of the big problems, one of the reasons we are so disillusioned is because we expect friendship to be a static thing. We expect it to be the same, to look the same today as it did 10 years ago, to look the same today as it did in another season of life. And if we do that, 
If we do that, we will load down our friends and we will load down ourselves with impossible expectations. And we will end up sabotaging the friendships that God's given us. We will end up missing out on the joy that he offers us through our friendships. And so what I'm going to do today is I want to look at the scriptures and I want to say, what does the Bible teach us? What can we learn about these different seasons of friendship? And I want to do that by looking, by going back to one of the most famous friendships in the Bible. We're going to go back to the friendship between David and Jonathan. So if you were here, I guess it was four or five weeks ago now, we looked at this friendship. We looked at 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we looked at David and Jonathan and we saw that their friendship was a deep commitment where they make this covenant with one another. And we went back, and you can open to 1 Samuel 18 if you've got a Bible with you. That's what we're going to be taking off of today. But we looked at 1 Samuel 18 and we really zeroed in. We really put verses 1 through 4 under the microscope. We said, what do we learn here about the commitment of friendship? So we kind of took a, 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 a microscopic view at that point. But what I want to do now is I want to back up and I want to take kind of a panoramic view. I want to look at the whole arc of David and Jonathan's friendship. And I want to see what we see about how their friendship changed and developed and grew through the different seasons of their friendship. And I think in the process, I think we're going to learn something about what friendship should look like for us in different seasons of our lives. David is a a fascinating character. He is the most well-known person in the entire Old Testament. You actually have more biographical information about, about David in the Bible than any other historical figure in the Bible. So you've got these huge chunks of the narrative of his life. So David's friendship with Jonathan unfolds over something like 14 chapters. It, 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 it unfolds over the book of First and Second Samuel. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to like zoom out and I want to say how did their friendship develop and change over the years and then what can we learn about our own friendships and how they unfold over the years. So before we jump into the text, one, one last thing, I'm just kind of caveat up front. Um, your friendships, not every friendship in your life is going to look exactly like this. Okay, because you're not David, you're not you know, the king of an early Iron Age nation in the Middle East. Uh, Your friend sitting next to you is not Jonathan. Um, You don't have to pigeonhole your friendship. You don't have to make it look exactly like this. At the same time, I do think there are things that we learn here. We learn different contours of friendship. We learn different facets of friendship that can probably help us as we're walking through relationships make sense out of where we are in our friendships. So that's what we're going to do. As I look, and this is not like, you know, um, some sort of accepted truth somewhere. It's just simply as I look at the friendship between David and Jonathan, I see six movements. I see six phases of their friendship. And we're going to walk through that today. Their friendship starts with discovery, and then it moves to commitment, and then they walk through adversity, and then they experience some distance, and then they walk through deep grief, and then it ends with legacy. Discovery, commitment, adversity, distance, grief, and legacy. First, they start start off with discovery. And that's where all friendships start. Because at the beginning, friendship is not something you create. At the beginning, friendship is something you discover. At the beginning, friendship is like a good gift that God just drops in your lap. David and Jonathan discover their friendship on the field of battle. These are both warriors. These are mighty warriors who love to go out and to fight battles. These are warriors who love to go out and fight for the good of God's people. And so 1 Samuel 17, Jonathan sees this shepherd boy, David, who goes out in the power of God's Spirit and kills this giant named Goliath. And then 1 Samuel 18, it says that their hearts are knit together. Look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. See, Jonathan looks at David and he sees he's got this love. He's got this deep, passionate love for God and for his people. This is a guy who's willing to go out and face a giant because he trusts God so much. Because the most important things to him are also the most important things to me. And there was a connection. It says that their souls were knit together. They discovered their friendship in that moment. I don't know, I, I would ask you, think about, think about friendships that you've discovered, friends that you've had over the years. Sometimes it happens in an instant. It happens when you first meet that person. Sometimes, though, it develops over time, doesn't it? 
Sometimes you know someone for a while, and then you realize, oh, wow, we really are on the same page, and God knits our souls together over a period of time. But friendship is always first something that you discover. That's how it begins. You discover that person loves the same things that you love, and your souls connect. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a a good bit about friendship. Listen to what he says. He says, friendship does not ask, do you love me, so much as, do you see the same truth? Are you passionate about the same thing? C.S. Lewis famously puts it this way. He says, friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. They're side by side, moment by moment, absorbed in a common interest. The very condition for having friends is that you want something besides friends. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Now, Emerson and Lewis, different men, very different spiritual and religious beliefs, but they both saw something that was key to friendship. They both saw that friendship is never just about friendship. Friendship is never just about friendship. Friendship is always about something else. It's always about something deeper. It's always about something bigger. And that can be all kinds of things, right? I mean, there are all kinds of things that we can build friendship around. Sometimes we build friendship around common experiences. We, we build friendship around common interests. We, we live in the same neighborhood. We have the same hobbies. We've, we've got kids the same age. We, we like the same music. We root for the same sports team. I, I grew up in western New York, which means uh, I, I, I had maybe the unfortunate hand dealt to me that I grew up as a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Um, and here, like, in western New York, in Buffalo, people connect over getting drunk and jumping through folding tables in the parking lot. That's how Buffalo Bills fans connect. Now, that's probably not the best idea of how you should go out and seek to connect with people, but, but we can connect around all these different things. We connect around sports, or we connect around hobbies, or we connect just around what we enjoy in the world, and that's a good thing. It is good to connect with other people over the good gifts that God has given us. It is a way that we enjoy God's creation with other people. It's a way that we enjoy being human together. So sometimes we connect through, through common experiences. Sometimes we connect through a common cause. We connect because we see a need in the community or we like to serve the community together. Maybe we clean up a park. Maybe we, uh, maybe we march against violence or we march against injustice in our city. Maybe you forge friendships at work, but you connect behind a common cause. And then, then there are these soul-level connections. What, what the Christian tradition calls spiritual friendship that you see here with David and Jonathan. You see this connection where it says that their souls were knit together, where they realize the most important thing to you is also the most important thing to me. And we see life the same way and we connect deeply around that. But here's something I want you to see about all these kinds of friendships. All these kinds of friendships are good. All these kinds of friendships are a good gift from God. Sometimes we get so stressed out, especially in the church, and we think every one of my friendships has to be like David and Jonathan. Every one of my friendships has to be this deep, completely world-changing friendship. It has to be this kind of friendship where I feel like my soul is knit together with that person. And listen, that's a good thing. That's something we should be praying for. That's something we should be working for. That's something we should be cultivating But not every friend that you have will be that kind of a friend. Not every friend that you have is going to have all the same common interests and they're going to love all the same things and you're going to connect on this deep soul level. I think that's why some of us get so disillusioned with friendship because we expect every friendship to be like that. We, We have flattened friendship. We've made it a monolithic thing. We're missing the texture of friendship. But you will not have the same kind of friendship or the same level of friendship with every person who comes along. And that's a really good thing because as a limited human being, you do not have the relational and emotional bandwidth to have that kind of a connection with every person you meet. David had many companions. He had hundreds of men who, who were out who were out fighting with him, who would have taken an arrow for him, who loved him that much. But he only had one Jonathan. He only had one friend with whom his soul was knit together. You don't have to be best friends with everyone. And they don't have to be best friends with you. 
We're called to love one another. We're called to respect one another. We're called to seek one another's goods. But we will not be knit together on a soul level like it says here of David and Jonathan. And that's part of the beautiful variety that God has given us in human relationships. See, some of us, this is why we burn through friendships so quickly. Because we place these impossible expectations on our friends and we place impossible expectations on ourselves. And instead, we should be thankful for the friendships God has given us. So friendship, first, is a, is a good gift. It's something that you discover. It's, but, but it goes deeper than that. It's not just something that you discover. It's also something you cultivate. It's not just something that happens to you. It's something that you work for. It's the second movement we see. Friendship is not only a discovery, it's also a commitment. It's a commitment. 1 Samuel 18, as I said, we, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that podcast if, if you think it would be helpful. But, but here's David and Jonathan. They discover their friendship, and then they say, but I don't want it to stop there. 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. So there's this initial connection. They discover they love the same things. They hate the same things. They approach life the same way. And it says that their souls are knit together. But they didn't just stop there. They said, I want to commit to this friendship. I want to build on this friendship. I want to cultivate this friendship. See, friendship isn't just something you discover. It is also something that you work for. And yes, not every friendship goes to the stage. As a matter of fact, if we were quantifying it, probably the majority of friendships do not go to this stage. Right? I don't have a deep, intimate relationship with my dentist. I think he does a good job on my teeth. He seems like a nice guy, but I'm going to see him every six months, give or take a few years. Uh, and, and, and we're going to talk as much as we can talk while he's got his fingers in my mouth. And then I'm going to see him again in another six months. And that's true of the majority of people in my life, right? That's true of the majority of people I interact with. I, even, if I, even if I see them regularly, even if I spend a good bit of time, we haven't necessarily connected on a deep soul level, and that's okay. But, here's the other side of that, but that shouldn't be true of every friendship in my life. That shouldn't be true of every relationship in my life. I shouldn't always be keeping people at a distance. I shouldn't always have a surface-level friendship. And I think as many of us never get beyond the first stage of friendship, we're stuck at the level of discovery. Yeah, we enjoy the same things. We, we connect over some common experiences, but we never cultivate a deeper connection. And instead what we do is we, we move on to the next thing, or the next person, the next set of friends. I see this all the time in churches. People come in and they connect at a certain level. They have this initial connection. They hit it off. But then their relationships hit a ceiling. They start to get bored. They start to, to, to look for something else. That's, that's part of the beauty of covenant membership that we just celebrated, by the way. They're saying, I'm all in. I want to go all in. I want to cultivate this kind of spiritual friendship with people here in this community. And listen, some of that, some of that, the fact that, that you don't connect with people is natural, but some of it is the result of the fact that we haven't learned how to really cultivate this friendship. We're not willing to make the commitment. Let me just encourage you. This is why it's so important for you to be intentional about this. In your missional community, in your discipleship group, in the, in the circle of friends that you have here, it is so important to be intentional because if you don't give that commitment, if you don't give that intentionality, yeah, you might enjoy hanging out with people. Yeah, you might have a certain level of friendship, but you'll never go past that initial stage of discovery. Let me say this. Some of us, and, and this comes through conversations that I've had with lots of you, some, some of it comes from my own experience, there are times in our lives where we desperately want this, but we feel like we just can't find it. I've had years of my life where I felt like I really wanted this, I really wanted these deep kind of friendships, but I didn't feel like there was anyone there with me. I didn't feel, I felt like I was just hitting a brick wall over and over again. And, and some of you here are probably in that space today. And let me just encourage you with two things, and they're not, not profound by any stretch of the imagination, but two things that help me. The first thing, just be faithful where you are. Be faithful where you are. Be committed where you are. Because a lot of times, friendship doesn't happen when you first meet someone. A lot of times it develops over time. It develops over months. It develops over years. And then all of a sudden, it's like you realize, wow, I've really grown together. God has really knit my soul together with this person. 
So be committed where you are. And secondly, pray. Pray, right? This is a gift of God. This is not something that, that, that we can create in ourselves. God brings these friendships as a good gift of his grace. So, so pray and thank God for the friendships that he has given you and pray that he would bring them deeper in your life. So as I said, we're, we're not going to spend a ton of time there. We spent a lot of time already. But, but you see that friendship starts with discovery. It, it moves through commitment. The third thing you see in David and Jonathan's friendship is adversity adversity. And again, you can read about this in your own time. I would encourage you to read this. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 18, it really starts at verse 6 and really goes all through the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. But what you see uh, as you kind of like move through this story is that David kills Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, and the crowd goes crazy and everybody loves David and they're coming back from war, they're coming back from battle and, and all the women of the town are coming out and they're singing songs about David. They're singing songs about what a mighty warrior he is and Saul's sitting there and Saul's the king and Saul's like, hey, what about me? See, Saul gets insanely jealous of David because David has stolen the spotlight from him. And so he moves into this time where Saul begins to repeatedly try to kill David. David's a musician. He's, he's sitting there playing his harp. And the next thing you know, Saul throws a spear at him. And David never knows from day to day, is today going to be the day that Saul's going to run me through with a spear? And humanly speaking, the only reason that David survives this time of his life is because Jonathan is looking out for him. Jonathan is Saul's son. And Jonathan is kind of warning him. Jonathan is sticking with him. So here's the thing about adversity. You will walk through adversity in your life. We all walk. None of us gets out of life unscathed. And as you walk through adversity in your life, as you walk through adversity in your friendships, adversity can either become a wedge that drives you apart or it, become a, it can become a glue that cements you together. That's true in your marriage, that's true in your friendships, that's true in any relationship in life. It can either be a wedge that drives you apart or it can be a glue that cements you together. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend, is a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend doesn't love when things get tough. A friend sticks with you. Do you realize that's one of the things that God gives us? Like, none of us likes adversity. None of us like pain or suffering or struggle. But do you realize that's one of the ways that God cements our relationships? Do you realize that's one of the ways that God deepens our connection, not just with him, but deepens our connection with each other? A friend doesn't run when times get tough. A friend sticks with you through adversity. So you've got these different seasons. You've got, you've got discovery. You've got uh, adversity. You've got commitment. Fourth phase that you see is distance. Distance. As I said, da Jonathan is always looking out for David. And at, at one point, Jonathan is listening to his father talk and he realizes it's not safe for David to stay here any longer. And so he warns David. He says, you need to run for your life. And, and they hatch this scheme. They send this signal to show that David needs to run for his life. And, and look what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 20. David rose from, from beside the stone heap. So David's hiding behind this mountain of stones. And he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. And then it says down the end of 42, he departed and rose and Jonathan went into the city. This is the last time. This is the last time that David and Jonathan will ever see each other alive. And they weep. They weep. They cling to each other. They weep bitterly over that fact. That's one of the hardest realities for us to face, isn't it? In such a transient culture with so much change in our lives, and we had these deep friendships, and now they're gone and we don't know what happened. We discover these friendships. We build these friendships. Maybe we even walk through adversity together, but then life changes. We go in a different direction graduate, we take a new job, your friend gets married, all of these different things that can change things over the seasons of our life. And when you've had that deep connection with someone, when you feel like your soul has been knit together with them, it can feel like you're being ripped apart when you lose that friendship. And it's a thing that is sad, and it's a thing that we ought to grieve over. There are all sorts of reasons that people leave. There are all sorts of reasons that there can be distance in friendships, and not all of them are bad. As a matter of fact, you see this all throughout the Bible. I'm going to jump to the New Testament here just to give you uh, an example. You see this if you read the life of the Apostle Paul. 
If you read Paul's letters, we have 13 of them in the New Testament, he names over 100 people in his letters. He's always talking about his friends. He's always sending messages to his friends. This is a guy who traveled all over the known world, all over the Roman Empire as a missionary. He knows he is doing exactly what God called him to do. But he still misses his friends deeply. Sometimes that's what, that's what sends us away. Like We just go in different directions. God calls us to something different and we need to leave our friends behind. Let me give you a picture of this. Acts, Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul is speaking to the elders of the, chich, uh, of the church at Ephesus. And, and he's saying, hey, I've, I've poured out my life to you. I've taught you all these things. And then look at their response. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul. They kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. This is a man who was their spiritual father. This is the man who first taught them about Jesus, who first taught them. Not only was he their friend, he introduced them to Jesus. He introduced them to the friend of sinners. He has poured his life into them. They love him deeply. He loves them deeply. And he's going and he says, you're never going to see my face again. And sometimes God takes us in different directions and we're doing the right thing and it still hurts us deeply. Sometimes just different directions send us in a, in a, in a, create a distance in our friendship. Sometimes distance arises because of a disagreement. Again, if you read through the book of Acts, you come to Acts chapter 15 and you hear this story about Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were the first two missionaries in the history of the church. And God sends them out, the church commissions them to go out and they take the gospel all over what's what's now present day Turkey and they come back and they have a disagreement. They have a disagreement about whether to take a guy named John Mark on the next trip with them. They, They have a difference of philosophy. They have a difference of approach. And what you find is that they have to part ways. There are times when disagreements, when just different ways of looking at things can cause us to part ways. I mean, mean, do you realize there's there's no sin issue going on here, okay? So it's not like one of them is preaching the gospel and the other one wants to start a cult. Like, they are both seeking to advance the gospel. They see eye to eye on so many things, but they don't see eye to eye on everything. And because of that, they simply have to part ways. Do you realize it's possible to love people, to care for people, to serve people, to want the best for them, but you don't see eye to eye on everything. I have this conversation with leaders all the time. I have this conversations with leaders in our church. I have this conversation with other pastors and other leaders in other churches. That sometimes a difference of opinion or a difference of approach simply means that there needs to be some distance. And it doesn't mean that you don't love each other and it doesn't mean that you don't care for each other, but sometimes that just gets in and it causes distance in our relationships. Sometimes it's not just a disagreement. Sometimes it is actually an issue of sin that drives us apart. Sometimes your friend says something that cuts you deeply. You do something to them that wounds them deeply. Maybe maybe you talk to them about a destructive pattern in their lives and they turn on you and they resent you for it. That's one of the hardest things. When you're seeking someone's good and they turn on you and they resent you for it and they walk away from you. It happened to, to the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's at the end of his life. He's, he's in prison. He's about to die. He writes this letter to, to his friend Timothy. And listen to what he says. 2 Timothy 4 verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful for my ministry. So here's Paul. He's at the end of his life and he's thinking about the people in his life and he's thinking, I'm here all alone. Crescens and, 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 and Titus, they're out in other cities doing good work. Uh, uh, John Mark, bring him back. We, we parted ways before. Bring him back to me. Timothy, I desperately want you to come to me. Please be with me. I need my friend with me as I'm facing down death. He talks about this guy named Demas. He says, Demas has left me having loved this present world. Can you imagine the pain there? 
These are two guys who left everything to go out and to walk on foot all around the Roman Empire and to share the gospel. They have faced, they've been in prison together. They have faced down death threats together. And Demas has walked away from me. Demas has walked away from me and he's walked away from Christ. Do you see the pain? Like, this is part of life. And probably any of us in this room, we can think of people who have walked away from us. Maybe there was just distance that got in between us. Maybe there was a disagreement. Maybe there was a deep hurt that's there. And they've walked away from us. Do you realize that that you're not alone in that? Even Jesus didn't have perfect friendships. You ever thought about that? Jesus is the perfect friend. Jesus is the one who lays down his life for his friends, but even he didn't have perfect friendships. When Jesus was abandoned, when when Jesus was arrested and they're about to take him to the cross, his friends, his closest friends, abandoned him. Jesus is on trial and his friend Peter, the, the guy who's supposed to be the rock, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. Jesus' friend Judas betrayed him and sold him out for a few bucks. See, Jesus has experienced it. He's experienced that distance. He has experienced that soul-rending heartache that happens when we experience this distance in our friendships. Broken friendships can break our hearts. But I want you to know that whatever you're walking through, it might be a, br- a break in your friendship uh, with, with another person. It might be a break in your marriage where you feel like there's this distance or this animosity or this pain or this struggle or this heartache in your marriage. It might be uh, w- with a family member. I don't know what it is, what relationship it is in your life, but I can tell you that Jesus is, knows about it. Jesus has experienced it. He knows that pain. His own friends broke his heart. And yet he still made himself vulnerable. He still laid down his life for his friends. He still loved them to the end. He loved us to the end. I think about how many times I, as as one who has experienced the friendship of Jesus, still turn away, still run away to other things, still say, you know what, Jesus, that's great, but I want this other thing more than you. And he never gives up. He never lets go. He never stops pursuing. As we just sang about, he never stops pursuing us. He never stops loving us. He keeps coming after us. I've been wrestling, wrestling in the first service, wrestling this one, whether to to share this today. I'm going to share it. So today is July 29th. Um, Just opened up my iPad this morning and just noticed that. Today is July 29th. Now, to you, uh, July 29th might not mean anything. To me, it was one of the most traumatic days in my life. 13 years ago, July 29th, 13 years ago, uh, was the day that it felt like my life completely shattered. Um, I'd been married before. I wake up in the morning. I find out that that my now ex-wife is not there. I don't know where she is for a long time. I don't know what has happened or or where she is. And, And my life has just shattered. My ministry is shattered, Um, my plans for my life, my marriage, this person who was supposed to be my closest friend is just gone. Now here's the thing, there's a lot that I learned over the last 13 years, but here's the number one thing I learned, is that Jesus is with me in that. That regardless of how deep the pain is, regardless of how painful that fractured relationship is, no matter how how much you feel like you are being drawn and quartered and that you are dying inside. Jesus is the friend who sticks with us. He has experienced it. He has experienced that kind of soul-destroying distance and betrayal in his friendship. And he is with us in the midst of it. I don't know what it is that you are walking through today, every single person in this room, but I know that Jesus is the friend who sticks with you, who will not let you go, whose promise still stands, and who is still faithful to us. Distance. We walk through distance in our friendships. Fifth thing you see, it goes even deeper than that. They walk through grief. They never saw each other again but they were still committed to each other until the day they died. And then that day comes for Jonathan. Jonathan's out fighting in battle with his father Saul, and he's killed. He's run through. And this messenger runs to David and tells David what happened. And here's what everybody's expecting. Everybody's expecting David to be really excited because now Saul's out of the way because now David is the uncontested, thing, uh, uncontested king. 
But that's not at all what David is thinking about. David doesn't care that his enemy has been taken out. He is heartbroken over the loss of his friend. So David's a poet. David's a musician. He, he writes a song about it. He writes a poem, 2 Samuel 1. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. He is absolutely heartbroken. He is absolutely undone over the loss of his friend. He grieves in his gut over the loss of his friend. Let me ask you, do you love your friends from the depths like that? Are you willing to put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable in your relationships like that? Mrs. David, like David is a tough guy. David is a warrior. David is a king, but he weeps over his friend. He mourns over his friend. He is absolutely unashamed of his grief and his love for his friend. Specifically to the guys today, like many of us, many guys today, we're afraid to talk like this. We're afraid to love one another deeply. One of the reasons, probably you can even see as we read this passage, one of the reasons is that we live in a culture that's obsessed with romance and that's obsessed with sex and that elevates that to the highest kind of friendship. And so we read a passage like this and we see these two guys love each other deeply and and they celebrate their love and we think, oh, that must have been a, a romantic thing. That must have been a sexual thing. And that is because we have such a minimized view of what friendship is supposed to be. And that's why so many of us are so lonely and isolated in our lives because we won't love one another deeply. We're either afraid of what people will think about us. We're afraid of of putting ourselves out there and getting hurt. Maybe we've been hurt in the past, and I don't want to put myself out there. One of the things that's interesting, if you if you read history, one of the things you see is that like like warriors, tough guys, like not guys playing Halo in their mom's basement, but I'm talking about like real warriors in the history of the world, real tough guys. They were not afraid to show their love for each other. Some of us are too afraid of that. Some of us are too afraid to put ourselves out there and to love one another deeply, either because we're afraid of getting hurt again or we're afraid of of the commitment or we're afraid of any number of things. That's what I love. That's why David is maybe my favorite character in the entire Bible. David's an imperfect man. He is a sinful man. David broke just about every rule in the book. But he loved passionately and he loved unreservedly. He loved God and he loved other people and he loved his friends deeply. Let me ask you, are you willing to put yourself out there like that? Are you willing to put yourself out there to your friends? Even if it means grief, even if it means the pain of loss. We see their grief. Last thing we see is their legacy. The legacy of their friendship. See, one of the things you see as you continue to read 2 Samuel is that David and Jonathan's friendship didn't die with Jonathan. They remained committed to each other even after their friendship. Their friendship had a legacy, which sounds really weird. I know, that sounds really strange. Nobody thinks about their friendship having a legacy. We think about individually, I want to have a legacy. We think about maybe with my spouse, maybe we want to have a legacy. We want to leave a legacy to our kids or to our church or to our city or whatever it is, but we don't typically think about our friendships having a legacy. But I think if you actually look at the Bible and if you actually read history, you're going to find that the best friendships aren't just good for the people who are in the friendship. They're actually good for other people. That's what you see here. Jonathan's and David's friendship has, has reverberating effects to the world around them. 2 Samuel 9, you see that, that, that Jonathan has been dead for a while and David is now thinking about his friend. He's thinking about his friend Jonathan and he says, I wonder if there's any of Saul's family left. I wonder if there's any of, of Jonathan's family who are left. And he searches throughout the entire kingdom to say, find me someone who's related to Saul. Now, here's what people were expecting. In that time, if you were a king and you came to the throne, what you did was you searched throughout the kingdom and you found any remaining descendants of that previous king and you slaughtered them. That's what they're expecting. That's what they're expecting David to do. But David does the opposite. David searches through the kingdom and he finds this guy named Mephibosheth. He's one of Jonathan's sons who's kind of in hiding. And he takes him and he doesn't slaughter him. He He doesn't push him out of the kingdom. He brings him into his house 
He brings him to the table. He treats him like a member of the royal family. See, friendship's not just something that's good for us personally. Friendship also has reverberating effects to the people around us. It doesn't just benefit us. It benefits our families. It benefits our neighbors. It benefits our world. I read a fascinating book uh, a few years ago. The name of the book is Franklin and Winston, uh, An Intimate Portrait of an Epic Friendship. It's, it's a book by a historian named John Meacham, and it's all about the friendship between Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, car- cards on the table. When I say that I read it, uh, I mean that I downloaded it to my Kindle, and I read the first couple chapters as I was in the coffee shop waiting for a meeting. So I haven't read the whole book, but what I read was absolutely fascinating. What Meacham does is he traces out the history of FDR's friendship with with Churchill. He traces it over decades, and he shows how their friendship literally changed the course of history. Any historian will tell you that the reason that the Nazis didn't win World War II is because the U.S. entered the war on the side of the Allies. But what Meacham shows is that the primary reason that the U.S. entered on the side of the Allies is because there was this friendship between Churchill and FDR. Because they had spent decades building a friendship where they cared for one another. They had spent decades building trust through their friendship. And what happened behind the scenes over a bottle of scotch and a good cigar literally changed the course of the world. Their friendship didn't just benefit them. It benefited the people around them. And you can see all kinds of examples of this in history. I think of the Clapham sect. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. The Clapham sect, a group of friends in 18th and 19th century England. William Wilberforce, Hannah Moore, all of these friends who love one another deeply, who love the world around them. And this group of friends wasn't just committed to themselves, but they worked together and eventually brought the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. I think of the Inklings. C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. These guys who would get together every week to to drink beer and to smoke pipes and to, to encourage one another in their friendship. But their friendship didn't just stop with them. It actually had effects. It actually created something good for the world. At one point, Tolkien was ready to stop writing Lord of the Rings. He was ready to give up on it. And the only thing that kept him going was Lewis and his other friends encouraged him to keep going. Now listen, I'm not going to be president of the United States anytime soon. I'll probably never be prime minister of Great Britain or, you know, write a, write a bestseller or anything like that. But I still believe that my friendships can have a positive impact on this little corner of the world. I believe that your friendships can as well. Maybe it's a park that you like to hang out at with your friends and, and, and you think about how do we work for the good, how do we beautify that park Maybe it's that your kids go to school together and you serve that school together. You serve other families at that school together. Maybe it's simply that friendship teaches us to love people better and to serve people better. Maybe it's just that our friendships make us better husbands and fathers and better wives and mothers and better employees and and better neighbors and better friends to the people around us. Maybe it's the simple fact that friendship teaches us to value people as people. Because we live in the midst of the world that is always treating people as expendable commodities. And friendship teaches us to value people, not for what they contribute, not for what they bring to the table, not for what they produce, but who they are in themselves. And if we change the way we think, and if we start looking at people that way, that is good for the world. Friendship is one of the things that makes life worth living. It makes life better for us. It makes life better for the people around us. See, think about it. That's the pattern of God's friendship. Do you realize that? That's why we hunger for friendship. Because God is a community of friends. Father, Son, Holy Spirit who love one another, who who defer to one another, who serve one another, who delight in one another for all of eternity. And, And it was their love, it was their friendship that led them to reach outside of themselves and to bring us into their circle of friends. Jesus is the friend who lays down his life for his friends, and who now calls us to join him in the world. He invites us to be his friends. He invites us to be friends with one another. And then he sends us out to invite others to come into that friendship, to introduce other people to that friend. One of the primary ways he does that, that we celebrate every week, is through the Lord's Supper. This table, this bread, this juice that we're about to drink, this is how Jesus welcomes his friends. 
He said, he said here's the greatest love, that, that someone lays down their life for, for his friends. And here's my body, it was broken for you. Here's my blood, it was shed for you. Here's the greatest friendship. Here's the greatest love you could ever experience. Even if everything else, even if every other friendship, every other relationship is falling apart, here's the thing you can bank on. I gave my body for you. I gave my blood for you. I laid down my life because you are that valuable to me that I want you to be my friend. He invites us to come and to eat and drink with him. So if that's true for you, if you've experienced that, if you've come into that relationship with him, which simply means that, that you're trusting in his death and resurrection to make you right with God. You're not trusting in how good of a person you are. You're not trusting in your ability to, to, to be someone or to be something in the world. You're trusting in his body and blood, in his death and resurrection for you. He invites you to come and eat and drink with him as, your, as his friends. We do that here. We have stations at the front. We have stations out in the gallery in the back. Just come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, take it and return to our seats. And maybe you're here and that's not true for you. And you hear me talk about friendship with Jesus and all these things and it just sounds weird. And so I, I, we just encourage you, just remain in your seats while others come to take the bread and the cup. It's not because we think we are any more deserving or morally superior in any way, shape, or form, but it's simply because this is a meal for friends. This is a meal for those who have experienced the friendship of Jesus. And so if you've got questions about that, if you want to explore that, we'd love to speak with you after the service. No, no need to do the perfunctory religious thing, um, but we would love to speak with you after the service if you're interested in exploring that. So let's pray. Let's take the Lord's Supper. Father, we are amazed that, that you would want to be our friends. We're amazed that you would love us that much because I, I know my own life so often I... I treat your friendship as if it's no big thing. So often we, we run after other things. We don't value your friendship. We don't value your love. Father, thank you that, that you didn't give up on us. Thank you that you continue to pursue us and you continue to love us. Lord Jesus, thank you. You laid down your life for your friends. Teach us to be friends with one another. Teach us to experience your friendship, to live in light of your friendship, and to love one another deeply as you've loved us. Thank you for your body broken for us. Thank you for your blood shed for us. In Christ's name, amen.
It's that confidence that God gives us that allows us to move out uh, outside of these walls. The friendship that he offers to us allow, gives us the emotional and spiritual strength and vitality to be a life-giving